I've just told you, Josh, uh, do do what you need to do. Uh, it is basically, this is no longer like a journalist, a young journalist here called Monica Smith. Okay, I've been talking to her and saying, Monica, you've got a choice. You keep reporting on these matters or you go and change it because no one else is going to change it in, mm -hmm. in Australia. It is your life, your future. I'm an old man. I'm going to die very soon or whenever I'm going to die in whatever years. But I, my life is nothing compared to your life, which is way ahead. Okay, so welcome to another episode of Chatter. Uh, today, I'm speaking with uh, Sanjeev Savlok, or Savhok, the author of uh, The Great Hysteria and the Broken State. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Josh. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So uh, before I start, I just want to say, actually, this is really shameless. My book is out at the end of the month, people. Please go and order it. <laughs> the link's in the description below. So when did you start writing your book? Like, was there a specific moment that, that like triggered your decision to, to, to write the book or was it kind of like a slow process or, yeah? Uh, it was a very sudden decision. Uh, what had happened was that I resigned my job uh, pretty suddenly uh, on the 9th of September uh, when I was asked to uh, pull down my criticisms of the police state that we're seeing in Victoria with the police beating up people for wearing masks and so on. So I was criticizing the government, uh, I was asked to remove the stuff. I said, no, I'm going to resign and fight you, fight the, the, this uh, you know, terror, public health terrorism. I wrote an article in the Financial Review, Australian Financial Review, uh, immediately after that, announcing my resignation and the reasons for that. That article got a hell of a lot of media across uh, Australia and the world, uh, including the UK, led to a publisher, uh, what are their names? Uh, Connor, Connor Court Publishing, they contacted me uh, and said, hey, guys, uh, do you want to write a book about this? I said, yeah, fine. I have no problem because I've already got 17 articles that I had written in the Times of India on the issue. So I had plenty of material. And uh, so I started writing the book. This is the, the article came on the 16th of September in the Fin Review. I got the offer, I think, from them on the 17th or 18th. I was deadly busy with doing TV interviews and so on for the next few days. I started working on this, I think, around 23rd of September, finished it by the on the 4th of uh, October in 10 days. And that was the end of the book. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's, a, that's seriously uh, quick. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's, it's very short. It's just about uh, 127 pages. It's about uh, how many words is it? It's uh, about 29,000 words. Is it? It's not a very big book. Yeah. So, so I guess, I guess like well, the first, the first thing I kind of want to address is the, 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 the people's, people's belief of, of the media on this, because you, you kind of mentioned you're, you're in a police state in, or what you believe to be a police state in, in Victoria yep. there when you started writing. And a lot of people would be of the opinion that this is necessary, that this is like required. And, and honestly, I like personally, I think it's because the, the media have really like sort of beat the fear drum for the past year, essentially. Like, it's just like, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. But like pre-pandemic, especially in the UK, um, and I know Australia was similar, but not quite as bad. There was a lot of mistrust in in the mainstream press in uh, in the UK, in the in the BBC, in our in our um, like uh, print journalism, and the people just. I think the we were the lowest country in Europe for trust of the press at home, and yet as soon as the pandemic arrived, 
like people just believe what's on the news like it's gospel like like where where do you think that that like skepticism went to like wh- where is it what's what's happened oh that's a really good question i actually didn't fully answer the question i had a chapter on this issue including the media uh, there's a chapter which asks the same question uh, but there is a little bit more research that i did after that and i uh, wrote an open letter on the issue uh, along with nine other researchers from across the world published on the i think on the 10th of january so what happened here josh you might remember that in the month of january you started seeing videos on social media about people suddenly falling in you know they're walking around in uh, wuhan and then fall down and they die apparently immediately <laughs> so all that stuff was floating around right so uh what is going on here was china this is actually a a well planted crisis by china to pull down the western world particularly the usa and more particularly donald trump who is a really you know they were deadly scared of donald trump so what was going on was they needed the west to get hysterical now if you remember even in the uk then nobody's bothered about this you know it was things are going up and down uh, everybody's happy uh, middle of february nothing's happening uh middle of march nothing's happening but then these videos were pumping in and if you look in the videos uh, of that time i've actually con- con- uh, compiled some of them they're very clear that this is a well planted hysteria by china so china was suddenly pulling, uh, telling us a story that it is the lockdowns that were necessary and then of course the lockdowns were imposed for the first time ever in human history uh anywhere in the world uh, was basically in this particular thing in wuhan and that is by jing uh, jingping but uh, then suddenly we start seeing videos in the early march telling us that the that the hospitals of china are empty and uh, of wuhan are empty everything is done and dusted the the doctors were shown saying hey we are all done the wards are empty completely fake you can actually look at them now and say my god they were so fake and nobody noticed but the problem was that hysteria was building in the background people were would never have listened to the media as you said they're very skeptical about everything that goes on around them including the mainstream media particularly uh and yet that hysteria was being built incrementally by china uh then what happened was uh the media uh was given this great model by neil ferguson on the 16th of march uh he's not the only author there were about 30 of them altogether he's a co-author but he's the most famous right he's been predicting 200 million deaths for the avian flu he's been predicting the most mind-boggling crazy things and scenarios for the last 20 years of his life he's proved wrong at every single step but the media love this whole thing that you know half a million people will die in the uk and that particular thing was picked up by the mainstream media across the world so now you see what's going on you see the people are getting starting to get scared the chinese videos are showing them that this thing is pretty bad they can suddenly die on the road then they are seeing the fact that the lockdowns in Ch- in wuhan have worked for about 2 weeks they were bombarded with videos saying the lockdowns have really worked everything is fine in wuhan again so this is complete fraud okay but anyway that's not the point the point is that at that point neil ferguson from the imperial college which by the way has got very very strong links with china extraordinary strong links if you look at their website they tell, they talk about the thousands of you know people they have in china uh, students plus the links back in china uh, xi jinping actually visited imperial college in 2015 and uh, there are pictures of that and everybody is very happy hey we're getting this great funding from china well xi jinping is planting people all over the world including the who tedros is a complete plant of this guy uh, all that stuff is in my open letter but the point i think you have back to the question the question is that uh, why did the media become so trustworthy at suddenly well the media was busy trying to get the eyeballs nobody is paying attention 
but the hysteria was building up so strongly. And then this model came and they said, let's drum up this model and let's see if you can start getting eyeballs because media really don't care for the people. They just care for the eyeballs. Okay. So uh, this model was really the thing that I think triggered the whole panic in the West. So after all the hysterical things, uh, and then of course, at the same time, the politicians were stuck in the middle because could, would they follow the standard model, which is what Sweden followed, which is basically voluntary, stay at home, uh, keep a safe distance and no masks and all that. That was the standard model of the Western science. But at that point, uh, I think the West simply collapsed, uh, including Australia and the UK. Uh, this happened around the 16th, between the 16th and 20th of uh, March. I haven't got the exact date, but at that point, the media was absolutely ecstatic because now they had everybody listening to them every minute of their life. Uh, I myself remember watching the, you know, whatever CNBC, et cetera, news on YouTube every day because I come back and uh, I was working. So I you know, come have a look at the stuff at home in the evening. And uh, there were eyeballs everywhere. And that was basically advertising revenue for the media. So then, of course, the media incentive kicks in and everybody starts listening. But what I'm saying is without the hysteria, without that panic that was drummed up by China uh, and by Neil Ferguson and the Imperial College, which are actually, I would call stooges of China. They're puppets of China. They've been planted. This whole thing was planted, drummed up, clearly drummed up by China. When this happened in such a large scale, the politicians had no way in the West to stop the, uh, the people from panicking. And then of course the media became a part of the, uh, you would call the story of success because they managed to get massive wealth and uh, you know, eyeballs and advertising revenue. Uh, so that's where we are. Mm. Like if anyone thinks that, that, that it's um, insane that, that, that China have planted people all over the world, um, there's two things I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link and I'll try and splice in the video. Is The first is that um, there was a, a video from the like a, 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 an official from the Chinese Communist Party who was literally bragging about two or three months ago that um, – they had never had war with America or the West in the last 30 years or 40 years because they had always had friends in the right places and that they needed to get rid of Trump and that they were the ones that had like enriched um, Joe Biden's son. Uh, and like, they're just like openly admitting it. Hwarjia 这个中美贸易战过程中
，所以这个时候啊，这个时候我们以恰当的方式进行一定的这样一个表达一个善意啊，我个人理解，当然这个受限于我的专业基础是吧？我们是从国际政治经济学的角度去理解这个事儿。那么我认为啊，呃，有它的战术和政治的价值在里边啊。啊，是啊。Openly, this is open. They were actually. Uh, pressurizing Boris Johnson, the the official media of China was pressurizing Boris Johnson on Twitter to do the lockdowns. They were pressurizing America to do lockdowns because lockdowns would destroy the West. You know, the basic thing is lockdowns is it is well known in science. If you look at the literature, it's very clear that they are very harmful. So the lockdowns would destroy the West and they would cause con confusion and chaos. So they were very important as well as the fact that after the Trump was removed, you see the Chinese official media. Boasting about exactly what you said, they actually boasted about the fact that we, you know, we that this man, the bad man, Trump has gone. You know, stuff like that.、Mm. And and the other thing is that there was、um, a report、uh, that came out.、Uh, ooh, it was around the same time that basically said that Chinese Communist Party members had infiltrated. Um, like thousands of institutions of the West, like、um, major like technology companies, pharmaceutical companies, universities. Like this is not like just some like random thing that we're just making up. So I just I always like、oh, to no, clarify no. that. <laughs> Absolutely, official stuff, which is two million、uh, names were released and available publicly. They were、uh, reported by the Australian newspaper, which is reliable.、Uh, so there's a lot of information about China's planting. Uh, you know, people in the media because they used to actually take the media out for to China and show them around. Our own premier here, Dan Andrews, is a complete stooge of China. He has been gone. He's gone to China and treated like a VIP. There are reports on that in the Age in the Age newspaper. These are official things I'm citing. Nothing unofficial. And you're absolutely right. This is the way China operates. They are、mm. they have planted stooges all over the West.、Mm. So. Your your book is entitled、uh, "The Great Hysteria and, and Our Broken、uh, and Our Broken State." Or our broken institution, sorry, or our broken state.、Yeah. Which one is it? Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah the broken state. The broken state. Yeah. yeah. So、um, I, I, I've spoken to、um, Peter Hitchens about two or three months ago about this, and he basically believes that like Britain's institutions, for example, may not survive this assault, essentially. And I'm, I'm still trying to figure out. Like, do you think that our Our institutions were already broken, or do you think、um, COVID has kind of exposed the flaws that were already there? Because I mean, like something I, I keep repeating to people,、um, and some people call me a little bit sort of crazy about it. But like the, the way, for example, the media used to work is that like the government would like present a policy, then the media would ask lots of questions about it and say, "Why are you doing this? How are you going to pay for it? What's this going to cost? What's like the human cost, etc., etc." Then the government would give their response, and then that would be reported on. And 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 then the public would make their mind up about whether they thought the government were lying. The the media would provide context for the statements and and explain things. Whereas now it seems to go like government presents a policy, media says what that policy is, and then the public just kind of have to accept it, or you're called crazy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so do do you think like the, these flaws were already there, or is is this sort、uh, of? Right. I, I really don't think there were the flaws.、Uh, these flaws were not there because I worked in the government、uh, in India for about 18 years, and I came to Australia. And in fact, I wrote a book here, which is sitting next to me,、um, "Breaking Free of Nehru," in which I've got a massive chapter on the Australian system. And、uh, it is—it、uh, was very clear to me that Australia was one of the best governments in the world, and good institutions, and so on. So, I have、uh, similar faith in the UK system as well. So, and also the US, where I actually stayed for five years. 
I believe these institutions have had their little problems here and there, but there was nothing of the sort, no indication that they would actually collapse in this uh, total, you know, like a house of cards uh, yeah, that we've seen this time. And you're absolutely right about the collapse of institutions. I've written about this in a very big way in my book, uh, not just the media, but the courts, uh, and of course the government departments. Uh, what's happened is there is a lot of group thing that's going on and it's very similar. The group, uh, group think or whatever you call it, you know, the kind of hierarchical thing that you see within a Nazi party or something, you know, no, when, when the dictator says something and everybody's got to obey. One of the things that's happened that's uh, allowed the group think, and I've argued in a couple of places, including my book, is the working from home. The working from home environment, in my view, because I saw the difference immediately once we start, once we were supposed to start working from home, uh, we lost contact with our senior executives, uh, whom we'd always bump into the corridor, you know, and raise questions and ask questions about this and that. Now you basically got confined to your own team and your, your next boss, your next level of boss. Very rarely that you could uh, communicate with the with this next level, uh, you know, above them and so on. That meant that the informal system of uh, checks and balances that was uh, there in the past stopped. So you became like an armed force. Uh, the civil service became like an armed service where you know everybody could just report to the next level. Next level will report to the next and so on. And so that collaborative, uh, co collegial atmosphere, which is found in departments in the past, disappeared. That to me has, has been a, a pretty important part of the reason why my, my you know, complaints or grievances or whatever I was raising within the department, I actually sent some emails to senior people as well. But the general point was that personal communication, there's no substitute for personal communication and Zoom is no good. And secondly, you don't get to have Zoom calls uh, with people who are very senior. So they're basically, you bump into them in the corridors, you bump into them in the elevators. Those conversations of one minute or two minutes are very critical in uh, providing feedback upstairs. I think that that was uh, uh, instrumental in, in completely stopping the feedback loop. You know, in every organization, there's a feedback loop. Mm. And I think when the feedback loop got cut off, snipped completely, you were left with this little house of cards that collapsed where you could not really communicate. And people from upstairs could only communicate one thing because they had not heard the other side. Uh, that's one reason. But the other reason is the politicians, uh, including in your case, the you know Boris Johnson and so on, uh, they have not acted as political leaders, but as the servants of the techno of the te technicians or the scientists or whatever. Rather than being the generalists who actually decide on our behalf about because we actually trust them to ask questions, I did not see any questions being raised within Victoria, for example. Uh, the time, the only time, so the first question was, why the hell are they doing this thing in the first place? Why these lockdowns? You know, there's so many other ways to do it. Where is your cost benefit analysis? Where is your analysis? This is even sensible at all. And that question was to be asked by our department and minister. But I, I, when, I, when I started asking who the hell is asking this question, they said, no, this is now a matter for the uh, Department of uh, Human and Health Services or whatever, DHHS, which is basically the technocrats. So the, the minister for the treasury uh, I, I reported the treasury at that time. Uh, that treasurer of ours simply handed over responsibility to the to the technicians, the, the doctors. This has never happened in history. You know, any time and every time there are central agencies, uh, and the same thing applies in the UK because a lot of UK officials have come and worked in our treasury, and our treasury people go and work there. It's a kind of collaborative thing between Australia and the UK, and uh, there's always a central agency filter. 
There's no policy ever made without very stringent examination by the central agencies, which is the premiers, uh, or in your case, the prime minister's department and the treasury. Uh, in 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 your case, there I think the treasury. I forget what it's called, but the, the these central agencies were not asking questions, and so the ministers were trusting the health department, the chief health officer, and others to give us the answers. And these guys have absolutely never in their life thought about the whole society. They've only been focused on maybe a medicine or something. They never ask questions about the impact of this on the society, on the, on the poor, on the children, on, on the future of people, and so on and so forth. There are hundreds of things that we, you know, we ask questions, but these guys are not in that business. I think that was the second part where uh, the handover of uh, uh, the questioning was given, you know, handing over of that power and the politicians are probably responsible as well to the technicians. So we, instead of being a democracy, we became a technocracy. Right away from the very beginning, you notice that the sage in the UK uh, became the, the dictator uh, essentially of policy. And uh, in, the U, in the USA, we had this stupid man called Fauci dictating policy to Trump and others. And well, Trump and others are the politicians. They're supposed to actually assess and they're supposed to dictate the final policy. But these technicians were busy going around giving their own random views uh, on every single uh, thing. And uh, that led to total chaos. Unfortunately, I think that's probably some of the reasons, but you know, your question is very deep. I don't think we will have to study it quite much, much more in detail to get the perfect answer. <laughs> mm. I mean, the Fauci is, uh, is, is hilarious sometimes. I mean, he, he said, um, they were talking about on, on, I can't remember which news program it was. He said that double masking was, was, uh, was definitely, you know, logically that was just effective. And then like four days later, he was like, yeah, there's no scientific basis for that. And she's like, what? Like, what do you mean? You've just recommended it to the whole country. And then you'd like two man days. Is that a mad at a level? Uh, because, uh, you know, the Christine Noam, who is the governor of South Dakota said in an, uh, in a speech that, uh, uh, Fauci told her to do the lockdowns. She refused to do lockdowns. Okay. And so Fauci told her, that she's going to get 10,000 people in the ICU or in the, in the hospital system, you know, at, at a particular given point in time. And she said that I've not had more than 100 people in the last six months. And she refused to listen to him. So she acted like a real politician, which is basically applying a filter on top of these technicians. But uh, in the UK, in, the, in Australia, and most of USA, this was not done. I mean, there's a there's a fantastic sort of like trope in um, the BBC comedy show, uh, The Thick of It. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but essentially, like if, if anyone wants to do anything in government, it, it's like the, the trope is that it has to always go through the Treasury. Like if you want some new policy, it doesn't matter how tiny the cost is, like you have the Treasury have to say yes. And, yes. and this kind of just disappeared. Like I, disappeared. I, I, I never thought I would have seen like Rishi Sunak, like like a, a, a conservative like just just printing money like and and i i don't disagree that pr like printing money in order to pay for useful things is bad but when you're just printing money whilst shutting the economy down like you, i honestly would have thought that the conservative party would have been the people to say maybe this isn't a good idea like maybe it's going to cause like like some really horrible problems yeah and and it's it's, it's a debt that that we're going to be paying off um, for for decades, like it's it's yes. burdening like my generation, like the next generation with with this debt, um, and and like why why do you think it is that 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 responsibility has kind of been abdicated? Do you think they they just don't want to be to blame? Because anytime that anytime anyone goes against like the sage advice, like they get like slaughtered in the media for ignoring yes. the science. Yes, yes, yes. I think while well, the politicians have been basically cornered. Uh, 
I think except for Sweden, where we had a very strange situation where there was an epidemiologist, a genuinely good scientist, Anders Tegnell, was part of the public health agency, which was uh, under their current practice, given the power to decide things. And so politicians are notionally in charge. Uh, and so these guys were habitually, you know, they've been given the power to decide and, and they were good people. But uh, and so they were able to happily manage no lockdowns, no masking, no quarantine, no border shutdown, nothing of the sort. And even today, they keep on repeating no masks anywhere. Now, the, uh, uh, the, in the case of the West, though, because the media and the, hyst the hysteria became so, so crazy, uh, Sweden, by the way, has a very interesting history with China. Sweden and China are at complete loggerheads. They are enemies, mortal enemies, essentially. So, you know, one more thing was that Sweden, they did not have as many... Uh, plants or, or puppets in the in the institutions. The China could not infiltrate Sweden. Where is it infiltrated these other places? So the net result was that the uh, the media in these other places like the UK has been creating so much hysteria that the politicians are cornered. You know, they just if they, even if they try to say something sensible, the media will slaughter them. You're absolutely right. They are not able to get out of this thing because the media uh, wants this hysteria, and of course the big pharma wants the hysteria because they want to sell the vaccines. And so the net result is the politicians that have been squeezed inside. There have been a few good people, by the way, in, in this place. I think in the UK as well, because I remember reading some, some good people here and there who are within the, you know, the uh, conservative or whatever, in this case, the Liberal Party, then they are trying to talk some sense, but they are not the ones who are actually the ministers. They are basically the, uh, you know, the bench, <laughs> the, the, sitting on the, on the back bench. Yeah. Mm. So what do you make of the, the, the censorship of, of like any sort of dissenting opinions on, on COVID, on lockdowns, on, on treatment? Like, do you think social media companies are, are genuinely trying to help? Are they are they like actually saying, you know, this is they, they like like actually believe that that is dangerous to present like contrary ideas or, or I don't know. Do you think there's something slightly more sinister going on? I think there's something something much more sinister, and I think I link it with the, the their their blatant and open uh, advocacy of Biden. Okay, so they would do anything to create the confusion and to stop Trump from getting back. Uh, I got removed from LinkedIn permanently. I've been banned from LinkedIn. I've been banned twice on Facebook. Uh, I think once for one day, another for three days, or something of the sort. Uh, and then I basically kept quiet. I do not uh, use Facebook anymore, more or less. And then Twitter banned me as well. So anytime you write the truth, which is potentially uh, it can can potentially you know hurt the Democrats, uh, hurt the yeah you know basically talk. If you talk about the Hunter Biden case, for example, or you you know you, these are the kind of things if you write about which can hurt the Democrats uh, or maybe the big pharma companies. I think the big media. Uh, big tech, big tech, big tech, sorry, have got artificial intelligence programs to detect it because they cannot read every single thing that's written, but they have the AI, which will detect the thing and shut the person down. This has happened almost uh, everywhere. So I, I think there's a, something much more sinister here. And there's a political politicization of the big tech. So they're using this basically as an ideological tool rather than a place where people can express their views. Mm. I mean, that's that's like I, I I'm curious if this video will remain up on YouTube. We will see. Um, <laughs> I already had one removed. It will be okay week. because this is stuffed inside the middle of other things, so they will not have the artificial intelligence to to read that. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah. Well, perhaps we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully it remains up because I think it's 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 crucial for even if you don't agree to be able to to kind of 
hear that there's like a different point of view. I, I, I am constantly baffled in our age of almost infinite information that people believe that there isn't like a, a benefit to, to hearing all sides of an, an argument. Like it's, it, it's it's honestly kind of kind of concerning. Um, I, I never I never would have believed that that we would see the kind of censorship that we were always taught in school, like when we were talking about um, like Stalin or or any dictatorial regime. There, they were totally like mm. censorship was always like this horrible thing that we shouldn't uh, like agree to, and then all of a sudden, like it's just fine. Like there's just like like the wrong opinions can be expressed, and you can just be permanently banned from what is like the digital town square, yes, essentially of the world. Yeah. So. So, like, do you really think the media are, are are kind of infiltrated, or do you believe it's the more the the ratings issue that you mentioned before? Because um, in 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 Britain and America, at least, um, I can't speak as much to Australia, but we, we've had for the past like four or five years, like in Britain, we've had Brexit, and in America, they had Trump. Like, and there was always the, like a new crisis, you know, there was uh, yeah. every, 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 th- every three months we had like the final deadline for Brexit or, or like, you know, or like, oh, you'll never believe what the Brexit deal does is not the new Brexit deal is saying, or in America, it was just like every day, like Trump said this, Trump said this, Trump said this, Trump said this, Trump did this. And, and the, they, 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 the, 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 just the craziness of those, of those years meant that the, the, the media had, had finally found something that was getting people to pay attention. I used the word eyeballs earlier. Mm. Do you think it's, it's and, and since Joe Biden's been elected, actually, um, a lot of the U.S. Um, like, uh, television media have seen like serious decrease in, in their ratings. Uh, the yes. only one, that, the only person, actually, <laughs> interestingly, that has yes. not seen a decrease is, is Tucker Carlson. Which I, mm, yes, who, who I, I was not a fan of, um, really. Um, but this year he's speaking a lot of sense, um, and he seems to he seems to be a bit more free to to say what he wants than he perhaps used to be, or maybe he's just been like, well, screw it, or I don't know what's going on. But he's he, he's 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 talking more sense than a lot of people. So, do you think it's like that they they have been infiltrated? Do you think it's like a, a group think, or do you think it's the the, the ratings? I think uh, when you look at the rating issue, it becomes uh, probably the center of all uh, discussion because uh, prior to this, the media was dying. And uh, as you notice with the, with the uh, coming of Biden, the media is also going to die. So the media was, uh, people were shutting down, you know, not the newspapers were particularly shutting down. You can, you can see lots and lots of them uh, basically going bankrupt and so on. TV channels have been going bankrupt. So people have been using YouTube and other places for information. Right. So the media rating issue is one of the most important in terms of what's been driving the uh, because this is the last desperate (laughs) hope for the media to survive and to make some money while the sun shines, uh, make hay while the sun shines kind of thing. So they needed the eyeballs and they probably have uh, got some, you know, uh, backup now of some a few billion dollars here and there in the pockets Mm -hmm. that last them in the Biden era, because Biden era is going to be very quiet for them, unfortunately. Uh, they do need Trump, and I think they even the Trump impeachment, et cetera, will be great for them. So they will, uh, and Trump is going to bounce back. I have no doubt that he's going to come back. He's so damn popular uh, in the USA. Uh, I just can't believe that he's going to sit there and do nothing. So there's going to be massive, and he's going to probably rebuild uh, other alternative media companies uh, through his sheer power of uh, communication. He's a great communicator. So you, you start seeing uh, the media basically 
uh, in the dying, dying throes of the media. <laughs> Uh, media was being replaced by bloggers and others like me, you know, because we've got our own constituency. People are coming to my blog, reading it, et cetera, et cetera. There's a vast amount of other alternative views that people are reading and using their time to, to scan through our podcasts or whatever. And the standard media was dying and it still will continue to die. And I think it's dead. It will not survive because I do not read any of the news at all. I personally will just watch a few YouTube videos in the morning. I'll pick and choose from my selected channels that I really like, and I'll watch their latest or something. I do not even read the headlines many, many of the times. So the, I, I've stopped watching them. So basically media is dead. And I think the rating issue was critical in explaining what happened to last year. This one is simply the dying throes of the media. They're trying to create more terror. You know, this alternative new, new, whatever strain of the virus. They're just trying to see if they can get more hysteria back again. Uh, I don't think they're going to succeed. The people are waking up. The people have, uh, you know, started moving outside that. So uh, alternative platforms have come up like Gab and uh, Telegram. I've moved to Telegram and so on. So, you know, everything is basically shifting and the media, unfortunately, is on quicksand. Mm. It's not going to survive. They're not going to live, live beyond a few years now. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I get that impression. I mean, I used to, um, I used to like wake up every morning after my alarm, I'd have um, like 30, 40 minutes of like new, like news bulletins from like different outlets. I'd have like the BBC, uh, Telegraph, uh, the Evening Standard in the UK. And then there was a couple of like US outlets I would listen to, Politico, NPR, just like the morning news bulletins to see what was, what was like the, the stories being reported. Like, and then since, I don't know, it must be like four, three, four months, I've just stopped I, I don't want to, I don't even want to hear it. Like, it's just, no. it's just like you wake up in the morning and then it's 40 minutes of COVID, 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 COVID. Crap. I just, yeah. I, I, there's, there's, there's so many other things like amazing and awful things as well going on in the world. And I, I don't want to yeah. just hear about COVID. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Just like they've lost the plot. The media has lost us. I've stopped watching CNN completely. I watch, uh, I stopped watching, of course, the things like BBC and so on. And so essentially, these, uh, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of channels that are losing, uh, you know, the eyeballs, which they had initially got hold of. Uh, I don't know what's, what's going to happen to them. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think the, the BBC were already looking at a different funding model. And to be honest, like the, the, the fact that these major outlets are, 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 are struggling is, is people talk about it being the fact that it's, um, it's like, oh, it's just new media and there's no way to survive in the modern day. And like, you look at like um, outlets that, that, that are just running on, online and they, they're, they're doing fantastically. Like people like um, the Daily Wire is run by ben, ben Shapiro in America. Like they're expanding and expanding and expanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a hundred percent appetite for like good journalism. Um, yes, I th- yes. They, 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 can't, they seem to confuse this thing where they, they think it's... Um, yes. They think it's the fact that, oh, you know, it's just new media. People don't want to watch TV anymore. But it's the quality of their content quality. that is missing. Yes. yes. Uh, if they're going to give us lies and absolute rubbish all the time. Uh, and, you know, anyone with a basic science background like me can actually see through their lies in, in five minutes. Uh, then I think they've lost the plot because we're not going back to them again. We, we've sort of, I've started thinking of journalists as the third raters of the world rather than the first raters. I now look at them as people who could not you know, pass a mathematics exam. They don't have basic arithmetic skills. So I've lost, they've, they've fallen down in my ranking as, the, as pretty close to the bottom of the pile in, in the you know, human hierarchy. Mm. <laughs> I mean, there's still there's still good journalists out there doing doing good work, thankfully. Yes. But um, they're a few coming. of them, yes. Mm. 
So like, what, what do you say to people who, who would say, look, you know, this is, it's, it's just a mask. It's, it's just for a little while. It's, you know, you just have to like, just go along with this for a little bit and then it'll all be over. Like, like what is your response when, when people, people would say that? Cause I, I'm sure there's at least one or two people listening who would, who would say the same. Yeah. I think this, this has been one of the big issues which has come up uh, that the, People on average, once they've been made so hysterical and terrorized, uh, for them, the idea of asking questions becomes an impossible impossibility, right? For me, this was not even a question that somebody would ask this because for me, this is right from the very beginning, I wanted proofs of every single thing. So I was actually a very strong uh, votary of masks at a time when there was so much panic, I said, okay, I'm going to wear masks, but only N95. I will not touch anything less than N95. There's, I looked at the literature. There is some evidence. So when I go to shopping or something, I'll wear an N95. And after that, I'm not bothered. But the, but the point is that people were not asking questions from the very beginning because there is so much literature on masks, which I've actually put in my complaint to the International Criminal Court. By the way, I haven't discussed that, but that's a 150-page document that's available publicly, and people can have a read of that. That's got a lot of information, uh, including on this masks issue. So there's a lot of studies that I've cited. But essentially, the, the, the problem with the masks is that they can only work under very controlled situations uh, by people who are very well-trained, and so that there is no gap and so on. So it's very difficult to be protected by a mask. But the average person who's been wearing cloth masks, they actually said in Victoria, you can wear a cloth mask. Now imagine, you know, a virus being stopped by a, can't be stopped even by N95 properly. And so you're saying wear a cloth mask. That's absolute garbage. But that's what these people were told. And they started believing it because I just don't understand why, but there is a tendency among human beings. And I suspect it's to do with the lack of critical thinking uh, in the education system, absence of that critical thinking skill. Because the first thing this guy should ask is, where's your proof? And that's what they failed. And in this case of it's only a mask, I, I really think I asked those people who were watching it that, look, I'm, I'm quite happy to wear an N95 mask if there's a massive, massive thing. This is not even a massive flu, so I'll not wear it. But if it's a massive, massive you know, uh, flu or something, then in a, in a shop or something, I might wear an N95 to protect myself, okay? But that's the only type. And that too with proper training, it has to really be tight and so on. Go and ask yourself the question, guys, and see whether the N95 works or whether the surgical works or whether the cloth one works or whether, you know, just find the facts for yourself. And I think that's the message I'd have to everybody who's got these things. And second thing about this is only going to be a few months. I'm afraid that's not how they told us. They said it's only for two weeks. And when they started, if you remember, the lockdowns are supposed to be for a few weeks because in Wuhan, apparently, they'd succeeded in about five to six weeks in, in getting rid of the whole thing. So we were told on the one hand, this is like a Spanish flu. Then we were told that Wuhan had got rid of everything in six weeks. And so they were lying to us in China and they lied to us here. And no, it's not six weeks. They're not talking of, you know, continuing these uh, restrictions for the end of this uh, 2022 in Australia. They've not opened the borders or we can't get in and out. Uh, they're, they're talking now of one more year. Every time it's like, you know, a train that's got delayed. I don't know whether you've been in a train that's been delayed. They always say it's going to be there in about one hour and there's another one hour and another one hour and it never reaches. This is one of those trains. Okay. So your one month is never going to finish. I mean, the, the, the mask thing is, is I find it really, really interesting if I'm totally honest, um, like psychologically, because I, I made this graph, um, or I didn't even make the graph. I just like put the graph up of the of the, of our cases in Northern Ireland, and it's like like this. In the summer there was almost nothing, and then in the winter it, it went up again. 
um and i i like put an arrow to where the like we put the mask mandate in like at the very bottom of like the the, the least cases that we had through the whole last year and then then like i don't know like two months later then it like goes way back up again and i just went look <laughs> yes. if they're working we wouldn't be having this problem and no, they don't. The people like I, I posted it on on yes. um, like the the Northern Ireland subreddit, and people freaked out. They were like, "It's because not everyone's wearing them." And and I was oh. like, "I was like, what do you mean? The like the, the like five percent of people that aren't doing it are responsible for all of these cases?" Uh, <laughs> yes, it's, it's absurd. People will not uh, use their minds anymore. Uh, I suppose they never use their minds. My uh, this might sound a bit harsh, but actually, it's quite possible. That these guys have never been used to using their mind. They've just taken the you know the books as the Bible, whatever is written in a book, and taught to them. They've never asked questions uh, because that's how they were taught, and so they never actually learned how to think. So that's this then becomes a more chronic problem for the West uh, to look at the education system and see whether we're actually teaching children how to ask questions, really, uh, because this should not be happening. People should be asking questions. Mm. So you mentioned that you you've got um, a lawsuit in the International Criminal Court. Do you want to do you want to tell us a little bit about what what the lawsuit's about? Yeah. So after this book was finished, uh, what is going on with the book was that I was asking people to send me information uh, on my social media accounts. I said I'm writing this book. Give me information. So I got a lot of information, and and one of them was about the Nuremberg Code. I had never heard of the Nuremberg Code. Uh, I don't know whether you've heard of it, but basically it's a code created after the Nuremberg trials, mm-hmm. in which uh, you know the the conditions on human experimentation were laid down. Uh, one, and obviously the condition is that because Hitler used to keep on doing hum, human experiments without permission, obviously. <laughs> and so the, the, the thing was that nobody will ever test anything on anybody without their permission. And of course, lockdowns are purely experimental. They've never been done before. Uh, the masks uh, on a large scale are uh, experimental. The quarantines are experimental in, the, in Victoria. We've got in Australia, they've been doing quarantines, by the way, lots of them. Uh, I think they've done a few in the UK as well, but a lot of them here. And these are all experimental because they're not required for these kind of uh, uh, virus, a flu, a respiratory virus of this sort. So in that case, you, then basically the requirement is that thou shalt be asking the person for consent. And so the same thing with these experimental vaccines, which are obviously experimental. They don't have full approval. They're only given emergency approval. So when I got this information, I then started looking at the international laws for the first time in my life, actually. And uh, people, a lawyer in Victoria, in Melbourne, sent me a lot of information. Uh, as a result, I came to the view that, no, this is a matter that breaches the uh, Rome Statute. The Rome Statute created the International Criminal Court, uh, which, uh, to which a lot of the, uh, most of the countries are signatories, but China, by the way, is not. So you can't prosecute them for the Uyghur, whatever, you know, Muslim uh, tortures and crimes, mm. because they're not even member there. But uh, Australia is a member, UK is a member, many others are members. It's in The Hague, and they are, and individual citizens can actually write to them once they believe that the crimes against humanity are occurring in their country. You're expected to have demonstrated evidence that the local courts have not taken cognizance. And I, I demonstrated the case with Australia that there was a high court case uh, where the interstate borders between Western Australia and the rest of the country, this border was questioned by a guy called Clive Palmer, and the High Court said, no, this, these, this, these closures are valid. Uh, Supreme Court was asked a question. There's a Supreme Court in, uh, in Victoria that asked a question about the curfews. Why the hell are you putting curfews from uh, uh, 8 p.m. In the mo- at night till about 6 a.m. in the morning? That was part of the, you know, the lockdowns. And so that the Victorian uh, Supreme Court said, yep, that's a- actually admissible. 
Now, these are all wrong decisions. And so I went to the criminal court with the examples of why I have no faith in the Australian High Court uh, and uh, Supreme Courts and the court system. And I have absolutely no faith in the politicians. They've bro uh, broken all the international laws. They've also broken a hell of a lot of uh, domestic laws, which I, I proved. So this became a full-fledged complaint. It took me, tw like I wrote this book in 10 days, right? This was uh, 10 days of hard work non-stop 10 days. And then I took 20 days after this book was finished. I took a break of about two or three days and I started writing that. And so I finished that book on the, I finished, sorry, uh, the, the, it's almost bigger than a book, uh, the International Criminal Court Complaint. Uh, I finished that on the 13th of November. This I finished on the 4th of October. So 20 days there, that means I, I was doing other writings as well in the meanwhile and other things. So about 20 days of uh, hard work gave me that uh, complaint, which is available publicly. I encourage everyone to, to download it. It's on, they, if they type the complaint and my name, they'll get it. Uh, a lot of people, about 10,000 people have already read it. Uh, a lot of people have sent uh, you know, information, like from, somebody from Greece sent me uh, saying that this is a great, a great thing you've done uh, because it, it clarifies that these are crimes against humanity. The Article 7 of the Rome Statute defines the crime against humanity. And these actually are crimes against humanity. The mass torture, the fact that so many children have committed self-harm across the world, in the UK also, as well as Australia. Uh, the fact that you've uh, terrorized uh, so many people who were sick, like, you know, with heart disease, that they did not go for treatment and so they died at home. This has been a very big stop, you know, big upsurge of deaths. Uh, which took place. So there are a lot of people killed as a result of this particular thing. So there are, there are these massive harms which I have cited in the complaint. And of course, those harms are pouring in from all sides. Uh, we have, I would say, at least 2 million deaths have been caused across the world by the lockdowns. 2 million people. That's probably more than the people who died from the actual COVID. Uh, and probably hundreds of millions of people's lives have been shortened uh, because of the lockdowns, particularly in developing countries where they've been impoverished like, like nothing. You know, they've just become very desperately poor in countries like India and in Africa. So two, two, two questions there. Um, like, why do you think um, 2 million around the world? Like, what is your like, source on, on, on that figure? I'm just curious. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> obviously, this is a very preliminary figure, but I've cited a number of studies. So if you, if you look at the complaint, uh, you'll find two chapters, uh, one uh, looking at the mental health uh, issues, and I've cited a hell of a lot of stories about that and, and cases and, and newspaper reports. Mind you, all this was only till the 13th of November, uh, but since then, there have been many, many more reports uh, from all over the world about the uh, mass harms and uh, casualties, including academic published papers. So there is, in my view, uh, uh, it's, it's a conservative estimate uh, based on all the information I've been getting. Uh, I've collected that about 2 million people have probably died in the world. About six, about 60 million die anyway in the world every year. Mm. So 2 million is not that big a deal, uh, but it is a, it's a, it's because these were killed by the government, they were actually caused, killed by, by the lockdowns. Uh, and of course the impoverishment was also done by the lockdowns that's separate and therefore the lives shortened. Each time you impoverish somebody, you actually shorten their lives. So there's all sort of data and evidence that I've cited. And I think that by now there's much more evidence. So my number of 2 million is, is my guess, get, uh, best guess, uh, given that information. But I suspect in the next one or two years, you'll get something very similar to that. Mm. So th the, the argument that, that I've heard um, that, that for, like the governments have given to, to justify the, the, the laws that they've put in place is that it's, um, it's, it's necessary 
because it's an emergency situation. Um, like, w- w- do you have like a, in your in your case, do you have like a counter argument to the to this? Because I I looked at like w- what was what in in all in the entire um, European Constitution, for example, I looked at like um, the rights of people and and what under what circumstances can this not apply essentially? And it's always like um, uh, under like medical emergency or or like state of emergency. Like, do yeah, like. Do you, do you have like a, an argument yes, that yes. this is not the case? Absolutely. Uh, a very straightforward argument here that all the laws uh, are that they talk about that talk about emergency uh, do not allow the government to kill other people while protecting somebody. Okay. So what we're saying is, let's say there's a, a bushfire or a, or a fire in the forest somewhere and a house is burning down. That's an emergency. And so the fire brigade goes and uh, tries to save that family. But in the process, they're not authorized by any law anywhere in the world, any international or local or whatever law, to go and burn somebody else's house on the way, okay? On the so-called fake pretext that if I was somehow to burn that house, then I could save this house. What they're doing is they're burning the lives. So in this case, there were a few people who were elderly, a very small proportion of the population, probably around 1% or 2% were, were actually susceptible, uh, people above the age of 80, 85. They, to, to protect them, allegedly to protect them, Okay, they started hurting about 99% of the population. Uh, so now you are not al- allowed under any law. And that's what I've argued that the emergency provisions do not cover this particular idea that you can go and burn other people's uh, lives and destroy them uh, just because you want to save somebody else out there. This, by the way, is also the same as the trolley problem. In, in philosophy, you have a trolley problem and you know if somebody's uh, uh, trying to save uh, Four people, the trolley is going down a particular way that will actually kill four people. And so now the question is, are you going to kill another person by shifting the trolley? Do you kill one person rather than four? And the answer is no, you cannot kill that one person because uh, an act of nature, if something's happening on its own, in this case, the virus is an act of nature. Act of man means that you actually deliberately go and kill other people. You actually go and harm the children. You you harm, uh, you know, the youth. You harm many other people who are terrorized by these uh, lockdowns. So no, they, they, there is no argument in any of the laws in the world ever uh, in the Western civilization that permits the governments to use emergency powers to kill anybody else in order to protect someone. Mm. So why do you think it is um, that that essentially? I I I I I agree with your point about the 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 the, the harming the majority for the sake of the minority. Essentially that. I don't understand why it was not our choice. And, and uh, for example, in Florida, they have been open since April, essentially. Like there's like massive events are not allowed. And there's like certain restrictions on numbers of people in restaurants and, and, and places like that. But as, apart from that, they, they've essentially just been open like normal. And, and th- this case has, of course, been, been like underreported, I think, that... that uh, the, the fact that they're fine is 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 just almost ignored um, by a lot of people. But why do you think it is that that we were just not given like the choice? Like for for example, like if if you open the bars or the restaurants and like you think it's dangerous, just don't go. Like <laughs> I, I I like why do you think it is that like our our individual autonomy has been has been removed here? Well, what you just said is exactly what is there in all the pandemic plans. Uh, that's what I've cited in my uh, complaint to the International Criminal Court. I've cited about the European plans, the American plans, and the uh, uh, Australian plans. 
all the official plans had exactly what you just said, which is basically educating the community and uh, through voluntary measures. For example, there's no quarantine, but then if you are actually feeling unwell, then you're supposed to stay at home. And that's a recommendation, okay? And so if, for example, you are actually forced to go to work, then in that case, the government would give you extra money to stay at home, okay? If you are a casual employee or you're very poor and you, are, you cannot stay at home because you're, you can't afford it, then the government should pay you money to stay at home. But in this case, the government shut down everything, all, altogether everything, and said, stay at home and we'll pay you money for sitting at home, okay? So what's happened here was the complete opposite of what's the, the official pandemic plans. What you just said in Florida is actually not a good example because Florida did initially impose lockdowns. I do not agree with Florida. I agree with South Dakota. Uh, but the best example is Sweden. 100% the best example for us is Sweden. Because Sweden said, and you can hear Anders Tegnell uh, say very clearly in tens of videos and interviews, where he says our focus was on protecting the elderly. And of course, they failed to do that very well initially. But that's not the point. The point is their focus was to protect the elderly who were at risk. The data were very clear from China from the very beginning that the elderly are at risk. And then they were saying, we are advising the community to social distance, which is what you just said. So even till today, and I was reading a Twitter uh, report from somebody who's lived in Sweden for five months. He said that everybody in Sweden is so thrilled with the fact that they did not have to do the kind of crazy things that are going on all over the world. That was, by the way, the standard Western model. That was the model of freedom. That is the model of science. And so I've asked everybody to get back to freedom and science. And that I think is what I'm asking in my uh, political work that I'm doing in Australia to fight these things politically. I am creating a coalition. I'm trying to create a coalition of parties that will stand up and defeat these big parties, uh, the, the liberal and labor party in Australia. And likewise, I would assume the labor and conservative in the, in the UK can be defeated if young people like you wake up <clears throat> and say, hey, we will not tolerate this. We want to get back to our basic roots. This is the science, this is the law. You have no powers to do this kind of thing. And since you've done this, we will actually put you behind the bars. I want Boris Johnson behind bars. I want our leaders in Australia behind bars because they have harmed a lot of us here in Australia. Mm. They have no right to kill and to harm other people in, in, in order to protect, allegedly protect the elderly, whom they, by the way, did not protect elder properly. Because remember, when the government is busy focusing on the young, they are having continuous series of meetings. Hey, this young man is outside. We've got to beat him up. And then there's a report and feedback. There's no energy left to actually focus on the elderly, which is why in, in, in uh, New York and in Australia and Melbourne, the elderly were actually dying in larger numbers because there was no attention being paid to them. All the attention of the government was there in somehow stopping everybody from going to work and, and beating up the young when they came out on the streets for, you know, without a, without a mask or something. That was going on here. So because of the diverted energy, these are called untargeted policies. Targeted policy would say, I'm going to protect the elderly. Untargeted say, I protect everybody. In the process, the elderly actually suffer. So that's how, uh, in a book I've shown how they actually killed more people in Victoria because of the lockdowns than would have died. And that I'm talking of COVID, okay? They actually died from COVID. About 800 people died here from COVID because they did not protect the aged care homes. Well, how would you propose as a final question that we try to, to move forward? Like, uh, what would you say to say someone's listening here and they I think, okay. You, Josh, 
I've you just gotta, told you, Josh, uh, do do what you need to do. Uh, it is basically, this is no longer like a journalist, a young journalist here called Monica Smith. Okay, I've been talking to her and saying, Monica, you've got a choice. You keep reporting on these matters or you go and change it because no one else is going to change it in, mm-hmm. in Australia. It is your life, your future. I'm an old man. I'm going to die very soon or whenever I'm going to die in whatever years. But I, my life is nothing compared to your life, which is way ahead. Uh, like you were born when I was like, you know, <laughs> you're very young, right? Out there, much younger than even Monica. So we are talking of um, the youth getting up and taking charge of their societies and countries because the elderly who are like Boris and all of these old fogies have lost the plot. They've lost their mind and they need to be removed. And likewise, I'm fighting here to create a coalition which will fight these major parties politically. The, the next election is going to be a Commonwealth, uh, you know, federal parliament election in Australia, end of uh, 2021 or early 2022. And I'm trying to collect candidates for all parliamentary seats and, and put up a battle. And in the process, we'll also educate the community and show them how badly they've been cheated and conned by these guys with all sort of fraudulent information. I don't know whether you've heard about it in the UK, but out here they keep telling us even now that this is a once in 100 years uh, kind of a crisis, or, you know, like a Spanish flu. It's not a Spanish flu at all. It is just barely worse than a bad flu. It's uh, less than the Hong Kong flu. And these are very small and minor flus compared to the Spanish flu. But even if it was the Spanish flu, none of this would be justified. But the point is that they've been lying to us. And so either you, you know, you stand up and fight. I resigned my job to fight these guys and I'm not going to stop till I have done my best. I likewise encourage everybody listening, including you, Josh, to, to fight for your life and survival as a free citizen of this world. I have always argued we are, not, we are born free and we must remain free. And if we do not remain free, we, we have nobody else to blame but ourselves. So I take responsibility for my life and I fight. That's a beautiful note on which to end. Um, I will link the, the court case uh, documents that you mentioned, uh, your book and some of your blog and your other work in the description below for anyone that wants to check it out. So uh, yeah, Sanjeev, thanks very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Josh. Pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the link in the description below. Until next time, thanks so much for listening.